From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I am Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this slightly rainy and cold Monday morning, I have to say. Kind of unusual for this time of the year. We definitely are expecting cold (laughs) um, in terms of the weather, but it is kind of strange, I think, to have rain as well. Uh, So it is a little bit different, but... Uh, nonetheless, nice, warm, and cuddly in the studio today, and uh, and we're going to be bringing you a great show as well to to uh, help you in your way if you are dropping off the kids or if you are settling into your office on your morning uh, Monday morning routine, and maybe you've dodged load shedding and you're uh, doing something mid morning in your kitchen. Well. Uh, hopefully we will stay with you and join you as you go through your morning today, bringing you interesting uh, aspects of the world uh, from in and around everywhere. So what is it and we are going to be talking about today on the show? So a few things. First of all, if you are worried about electricity, well, we're going to be talking about the kosher electricity crisis. I know that in our community we worry about the cost of kosher. Uh, well, if you're in Israel, you have to worry about the costs of kosher electricity. So I'm going to be talking about that. Then we're going to be having a different discussion about the issue of um, of changing words in books. Changing words in books. And it's a very interesting debate that's happening in the United States, uh, also with authors like Roald Dahl, Ian Fleming, uh, and a number of others. And uh, I'm not quite sure how to think about it, so I would love your uh, uh, I'd love your perspective on the changing of words and books. And we're also going to look at a goer. What is a goer? Why is it important? And why is it at risk? Uh, and what can be done about it? That's a, a very very important question. So those are three of the big issues. I'm sure we'll uh, be able to slide in some others. Uh, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, please do let us know. You can SMS us, 34519, that is the SMS line, or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019, and we will be very, very happy to entertain all of the thoughts and uh, and interests and engagements that you have for us, because that is what the show is all about. So we are looking forward to joining you for the rest of the hour. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is indeed the New Blue Review. And we are talking today about the issue of AGOA, which... Uh, if you don't know what that means, be prepared because this is going to be an acronym that you are going to be hearing more and more often uh, up until probably early to late next year as things start to get going around it and uh, what actually is going on with it. So, what is AGOA? AGOA stands for the African Growth and Opportunity Act. And it was something that was sort of thought about by Bill Clinton many, many years ago and then enacted by the George Bush government. And what it is, 
is a what's known as a preferential trading act. Okay, so if you if you know about trade or um, trade between countries, often countries will try and do things called free trade agreements. And what a free trade agreement is, is that I have a uh, a car and you have um, say medicines and and to bring them into our country you can come in and not pay any uh, taxes and if i have a car then i can bring it to your country and there's not any taxes and uh, in some places there are in some places there aren't but we sort of negotiate a way for trading between countries uh, to be easier so that uh, everyone can get things really cheaper because if it costs a lot of money to produce a car uh, in in one country, but it's cheaper in another country, it's much easier to just bring it in there, and then it helps bring down things like inflation and makes access to goods more readily available f- for all of us. So that's the idea of a free trade agreement. What a goer is is what's called a preferential trade agreement, and a preferential trade agreement is one in which one country actually gives more access to their market for another country than than any other. Uh, this could be for reasons of ideology. It could be because they uh, want to encourage a certain kind of industry. Uh, it could be for a variety of reasons. And AGOA is this preferential trade agreement for Africa. And it was designed really for low-income countries in Africa so that that America didn't have to keep giving aid to to Africa, or at least could reduce it, because the idea was is if you could empower African businesses, then they would be able to stand on their own feet, pay their own taxes, help their own governments, uh, and it's better than people giving aid from the outside, which doesn't always sort of go in the right direction for a variety of reasons. And so um, the the AGOA the AGOA trade uh, pact has been put out. And uh, it's for the whole of Africa, and it's really worth a, a lot of money. Its uh, uh, last count uh, was more than uh, $27 billion, which is an enormous amount of, of money. And it includes all sorts of goods, include iron and steel goods, automotive parts, uh, textiles, agricultural exports, uh, as well as uh, things like cars and uh, and chickens and and all sorts of things, and and South Africa is one of the big beneficiaries of AGOA. So, uh, along with Nigeria, uh, Kenya, Ghana, Angola, Madagascar, Ethiopia, uh, Lesotho, uh, are all uh, are all part of of the agreement, and uh, and South Africa uh, has grown its its exports to the United States on the basis of AGOA. Uh, in all sorts of categories, including jewelry, particularly diamonds, uh, ferrous alloys, which is kind of uh, metals, fruits and nuts, beverages and spirits, uh, i.e., beer and wine, and uh, and also uh, also cars. As I said, we have our automotive industry. As you may know, we have uh, Ford uh, and a number of other car manufacturers, particularly based down in PE, and they um, will often produce cars that can then be exported around the world uh, and uh, and parts as well, which are also taken up by the American as as well as uh, fruits, which is what I I think I mentioned earlier. Now, what comes along with this sort of free lunch 
though, is that you have to um, is that you have to sort of follow a few rules, uh, and these rules include uh, things like uh, respecting human rights, uh, making sure the rule of law is respected, political pluralism, which means basically uh, democracy and having proper elections, uh, workers' rights, and, uh, and and other kinds of uh, what you would call liberal democratic rights, and just working with the U.S. in general. So that's a goer. That's how we benefit. It's very important for us as a country. Uh, it's a big part of what America does, and and that is where we are. So the question is, why am I even bringing this up? So the answer is the following. In a, in, in a little bit of time, uh, I think, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's coming up early next year, they do these negotiations with, with, with America and uh, Africa every so often where they renew uh, the pact, they look at different issues. So in 2015, for example, there was a renegotiation of Agoa, and the big thing that at that point was chickens because – I think the American chicken market was growing and they uh, wanted less South African chickens. So uh, chickens became a big argument uh, between uh, America and South Africa about how the chickens were going to benefit or not from a goer. And that was a big sticking point in terms of um, the renegotiation of, of the pact. Now, there are other things which are now on the table and that is causing uh, problems as we run up uh, to to a new AGOA um, negotiation round, which will, as I say, take place soon, and particularly around uh, a big conference that is supposed to be happening in August for um, for AGOA of the whole African continent, and uh, that South Africa is supposed to be hosting in and around um, August. So, what is in uh, store, and why should we be concerned? Well. For many, many years, there's been two kinds of concerns in America about South Africa's access to AGOA. The first is that they are worried about South Africa as being basically too rich. Right? AGOA is designed for lower-income countries, poor countries, so that they can get their uh, industries up and running and, and be operational. And this is a big deal uh, for, for these smaller countries. And the argument in in certain circles in an American Congress was always that, well, you know, South Africa is a kind of middle-income country. We, we have enough money. We have established industries. And those industries don't really need help per se. I mean, obviously, all industries need help. Uh, but, the, but you don't really need uh, this kind of preferential thing for South African goods. They can compete on their own terms. And so we just need to, to – to sort of start to scale back on a goer because South Africa doesn't need it, basically. It's done its job. A goer worked and very nice and off you go. So that was one concern. The other concern was also around how South Africa operates as a democracy, right? So there's nothing wrong at the sort of formal level with South Africa's um, democracy. But as we've seen over time, there have been challenges in the international um, rights arena, the South Africa's treatment of Israel has come up as a particularly problematic uh, place in which the Americans are becoming concerned around treatment of allies. There's the issue of terrorism, which obviously South Africa doesn't back terrorism, but because we have very, very lax policing uh, laws and 
other uh, gaps in our law enforcement. We've seen uh, terrorist activities not so much being committed here, but sort of flowing through the country. So uh, money being traded, uh, sort of recruitment and base of operations, South African being used. So the Americans were starting to get concerned that uh, you know, we were not living up to our obligations on the governance side when it came to Goa. And these sort of all rattled along in the background. And then in the last year or so, two things, major things changed. The first is that in America, there was an election November last year, and the Republicans uh, took the Congress. So uh, they were now in control of the Congress. If you have to make a law in, in, in America, you have to get it past the Congress. Uh, and the Congress and the Senate together are very important for uh, for, for legislating on uh, international uh, treaties, particularly the Senate, but uh, the Congress has to be part of it as well. So, so that became an issue because Republicans in general, particularly this kind of Republican Party as it stands at the moment, is 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 sort of hostile to free trade, right? So they actually uh, squelched a free trade agreement between America and a bunch of China Pacific countries. It was. Um, the, the name of the of the trade pact has actually um, completely left me, but uh, there was a it was a big deal during uh, the Hillary um, Hillary Trump uh, election, where where this uh, it was called the Trans Trans Pacific Trade Pact, I think PTTT or something. Uh, so so the the Republicans and the Democrats. Both become very, very hostile to, to, to free trade. So preferential trade, uh, especially for Africa, which is kind of seen as not that important, the Republicans have been very opposed to that. So that has been a big deal. But by far, the most important issue, um, that has come out of this is that the, the Russia-Ukraine war. And that obviously is the first time that we've seen a shooting match uh, or shooting war on the on the European continent between two major countries, particularly one that's been nuclear powered uh, for since since seventy five years, I guess, since the end of World War Two, and that has really polarized as we've seen the entire world. You've got the people who like Russia, and you've got the people who like America, and because of that, uh, there really is this kind of voice in the world that says, "Okay, are you with the Americans or are you against them?" And and South Africa has been a little bit kind of problematic in the way that it's approached this because it keeps claiming that it's neutral, that it's not getting in the way, that no one is uh, that that no one is its friend or its enemy. But then they haven't quite been acting like this, and there's been numerous examples now that uh, are signalling to the Americans that perhaps South Africa is not on side diplomatically. So the first has been the way that it votes for the UN. Even other BRICS countries uh, like India and China have abstained from certain things where uh, South Africa has actually voted with Russia. So that's at the UN. We had this case of this sanctioned Russian ship pulling into a port in the middle of the night in Simonstown a few months ago and under cover of darkness and then leaving. We don't know what was on that ship. The government hasn't said. Uh, then there was the big naval exercise being done between uh, South Africa, China and Russia off the off the seas, uh, and and we had Tandi Mudiswe, who is a uh, uh, ANC foreign policy person, uh, and she went and attended a big 
military conference the other day. And then we had a, a Russian plane landing just the other night in Vatikloof Air Base, which is a military uh, air base and um, also sanctioned uh, as potentially cover uh, as as a potential plane that actually uses ammunition and uh, uh, or, or transports ammunition from from different countries and it it um, it landed now there's considerable questions about what was this plane doing there because they would have needed to have gotten government approval the if we could give the South African government the benefit of the doubt we would suggest that uh, maybe this plane didn't want to land in Oatambo because the pilots might be arrested under international law, uh, or, or perhaps they are, um, uh, you know, concerned for other reasons, and so maybe they were just dropping off some kinds of stuff for the Russian embassy. That's the positive or or the, or the good scenario. The bad scenario is that uh, the South African government may actually be trying to actively support the Russian war effort. Uh, and allow the Russians to get proper aid in terms of ammunition and um, and other kind of impacts that um, would be basically used on Ukrainian population, which would be a massive violation. Uh, so all of these things have been uh, sort of bouncing around in the last while, and then we have a goer. And what's happening, and, and BRICS, so as you know, South Africa is a part of BRICS, and on in terms of BRICS, we are it's Brit- Br- Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and South Africa. And there's a big co- BRICS conference that happens every year. And as a result, you need to invite all the heads of state that are are supposed to come to that summit. Now, what's happened is that the International Criminal Court has issued an indictment against um, Vladimir Putin for war crimes, and has said that South Africa, as part of its um, uh, mandate under the ICC actually needs to arrest Putin. And South Africa is saying, I don't want to do that. Uh, you can't arrest a set head of state. We already had a problem with Omaha al-Bashir a few years ago where we had to get him out of the country instead of arresting him. And so uh, South Africa has been reticent to do this. And, and it's causing all sorts of things you would have seen in the Sunday Times if you read it, a disgusting article this uh, week sort of comparing Israel to Ukraine and saying that those are both war crimes, so maybe we need to uh, get it, you know, that, that South Africa needs to remove itself from the ICC because uh, Israel isn't being indicted, which of course is complete nonsense. And um, essentially this has become a huge political football. But what's really caused the problem more than the ICC, well not as much as the ICC about whether Putin will actually arrive or not, is the AGOA summit, which is really the summit for the whole of Africa, so that they can start these negotiations and also do updates on the AGOA project and all of these things. And it's happening, as I say, just after the BRICS summit, and certain congressmen, including ranking Senate members, have said that if Putin comes to South Africa the week before the AGOA summit, then they aren't going to pitch, which would basically mean that um which would basically mean uh that there is uh like a uh how would i say uh, basically mean that there would be no uh there would be no agoa summit and there from there there would be no uh you know who knows where where the agoa thing would go and certainly 
the, the government has taken this seriously enough that they've actually sent a delegation to the states to talk to various people to try and get the Americans to calm down and try and see uh, what would uh, what would be a better way to, to handle the problem. Uh, because as these um, go, <coughs> negotiations go up, uh, we, we are going to be in a serious situation where uh, where we need to to try and save these things for South Africa, because otherwise it's going to take a real hit on our economy. And and really, you can trace the problems of Goa uh, in terms of the foreign policy right back to uh, again um, uh, South Africa's approach to Israel, uh, how it is sort of anti-Israel for like anti-Western purposes, and how this is a real real uh, challenge uh, to to for for America. And, and how now the chickens are not coming home to roost because they're not going to a goa. So, um, so yeah, that is kind of where it's at and why you're going to be hearing more about it in the news. Now, I see someone's actually sent this to me over Telegram, which I think is very interesting. And I think it's part of the debate. So it comes from Abraham, uh, according to his thing. And it's sent on Telegram. So thank you for sending it. It says, murdered over 500,000 children in eight years in Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Pakistan, Iraq, and Somalia. But remember, Putin is the bad guy. And it's got a picture of uh, Obama and um, and Biden. And this is precisely the kind of logic which we have to get away from, right? Um, let's just take, for example, Afghanistan, which is mentioned in this in this particular tweet, right? Afghanistan was harboring the people who committed 9-11. They were training, um, they were training these people, uh, and allowing them to commit acts of terrorism around the world, in, including the, the Twin Towers, and, and essentially acting as a hostile state. And now that the Taliban has taken back over Afghanistan, uh, they are doing exactly what they did before, including training terrorists and all these sorts of things, as well as not allowing uh, girls to go to school uh, or to university or basically completely out of uh, public life. Uh, another one here, Syria. So Syria had nothing to do with America. If anybody killed people in, in Syria, it was actually the Russians who uh, were bombing uh, cities and barrel bombing them and, and literally leveling Aleppo. And the only reason why that hasn't happened in, in Ukraine is because it's been given the kind of air support and uh, other kinds of um, other kinds of military support that don't allow the Russians to do precisely that. So I think that this idea that, oh, we're just going to blame America for all the problems in the Middle East and the whole world uh, is, is, is kind of nonsense. And, uh, and let's not forget that uh, it's not the first time that Putin's done, invaded Ukraine. He said so in, 19, in uh, 2014 at, uh, at the Crimea. He invaded uh, Georgia in 2009. And so uh, I think that these kind of uh, viewpoints uh, are the kinds of things that uh, South Africa is using, the South African government is using, to get out of its imp- uh, obligations and in international law and allowing it to kind of support very, very problematic causes, including Iran, Syria, uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, Cuba, North Korea, etc. And by saying, oh, well, you know, because the Americans. And I think uh, it's a very, very problematic way of looking at, at international relations. And one which we are going to be paying very heavily for unless we can convince our government as South Africans that uh, its dalliance with Russia and all the other dictatorships actually needs to come to an end. I'm Benji Shulman and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 
101.9 high FM. So, you were concerned about electricity. So, we have a kind of funny dichotomy going on at the moment where we have all sorts of electricity that we would really like in South Africa but that we can't get. And in Israel, they have a whole bunch of electricity that they can get but don't want. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the issue of kosher electricity. So what does that actually mean and why is it so controversial? So let's take a quick look at this particular issue. So the whole issue is going on about a controversial power storage project which is meant to address the concerns of strictly uh, devout Jews using electricity produced by other Jews over the Sabbath. So essentially, of course, uh, electricity can be passively used uh, by someone uh, over uh, over Shabbat. If your uh, hot plate is on, you can turn it on before Shabbat and it can run the whole of uh, Shabbat and it is not a problem. And in South Africa, it's also not a problem because the the, the electricity comes from ESCOM, right? Uh, when it comes from ESCOM. And ESCOM does its thing and it's mostly run by, by far in the majority by non-Jews. So the non-Jews are basically creating the electricity. The problem is, is in Israel, obviously, uh, most people are that are producing uh, or, or creating the, 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 the electricity are workers in a, in a power utility, and they are working on Shabbat. And so they now have a problem in that they are creating electricity, which is being used by these Jews passively over um, the... Uh, of, over the over this period, and so uh, the, the places like Bnei Brak, where you have uh, Haredi Jews, ultra orthodox, um, are don't like to do that because they feel like they're enabling other Jews to break the Shabbos, and so they've actually used generators uh, for their homes, which are very noisy and also uh, cost a lot of money to run and are, are, can be quite dangerous. And so there is a plan that they've put to have build a storage solution uh, near Bnei Brak uh, to the tune of $33 million. And this has been very, very controversial because members of the opposition say that this money would be coming from taxpayers uh, whom typically don't uh, are not concerned about this particular electricity issue uh, because they're either... Um, uh, they're not from the Haredi sector, let's put it that way. They're either secular or maybe religious, but are not uh, particularly concerned about this particular problem. Uh, and it's going to straight to uh, B'nai Brak. Now, I actually don't know uh, whether it would be interesting to get a rabbi on to, to, to have this discussion because I've never thought about it in the, the problem of a uh, Jewish state. But other people are saying that this is costing... Uh, Haredi people a lot of money in order to have these generators run, but now that they're very much in um, in, in sort of part of the government, um, they this is something that they are, are pushing. And Avigdor Lieberman, who is the Israel Batenu uh, chair, uh, has said that is protested against this. He says it's a form of religious con- um, uh, co- coercion by Haredi politicians, and. And saying that if they wanted to do these storage batteries, uh, so basically they would store them before Shabbat, uh, and then, and then after Shabbat, uh, sort of they would use it during Shabbat and then store the, uh, charge them again. It said it would cost at least twenty-five 
another $25 billion uh, that would that would be uh, f- force force the country to to use it. So uh, lots and lots of arguing going on about basically hitting people in their pockets uh, to to pay for this thing, and it's causing all sorts of issues. Um, so I'd love to hear from you what you think. Uh, what do you think of kosher electricity? Do you think that the Israeli state should be paying uh, to build these big battery storages so that uh, so that there is uh, so-called kosher electricity uh, being produced. Uh, four three four five one nine. That is the SMS line, uh, or you can telegram us on oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine, and then we will. Uh, I'll be happy to hear what you think about this latest argument that isn't about the judiciary um, in in Israel. So yeah, I think it's a very interesting. Interesting uh, argument and interesting question, and uh, one that we're going to see apparently a lot of debate about. So that's three four five one nine on the SMS line, um, and oh uh, six one eight nine five one zero one nine. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is one hundred one point nine High FM. This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. One hundred one point nine High FM. M. Now, I have a question for you that I would like you to answer. What do you think about the idea of changing words in old books that might be offensive to readers? And it's a very interesting debate that's actually happening at the moment. If you want to read it uh, more fully, there is an article in the National Review and in uh, several other papers by Douglas Murray. He's quite a well-known author on cultural issues. Uh, and he he writes about this particular uh, particular topic uh, explaining what is going on because of course inside of uh, certain kinds of literary uh, publishing houses there's been a certain revolt lately about authors that um, certain people don't like so Woody Allen was going to write a biography and that got quelched by a publishing house because there was an internal revolt by its um, by its staff then J.K. Rowling who's been uh, very outspoken on her perspectives on uh, trans activism and trans ideology. Uh, there, she was trying to write a children's book, and also there was a revolt, and they, uh, you know, and they were then uh, sort of they wanted to not allow her to be published, and they pushed back, and she she got a chance to be published. So that that is new authors that are coming on that are, are facing some some pushback about what they think and therefore uh, if the publishing houses are willing to to publish them so that's that's one thing but the the broader issue is now historical books so the most famous example is Roald Dahl uh, and his books but also Ian Fleming uh, who of course wrote the James Bond books uh, and a number of others who are now being subjected to changes in in their in their book styles so one of the things, if you are a, a fan of Roald Dahl, and one of the reasons why children like his book so much, is that he talks about people's physical imperfections very bluntly. People are described as ugly. They're described as fat. If you remember um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Augustus Gloop is uh, considered enormous. Uh, there's uh, the Oompa Loompas. There's the big giant. Uh, the, the witches. There's all sorts of 
uh, it's filled with farts and bodily fluids. And that's kind of part of the attraction of, of role doll writing for children because the, for some reason children uh, are endlessly fascinated uh, by these sorts of things. But it's run right up into the culture wars in that, you know, we, we have a sort of whole new language about sensitivity around body shaming. You can't uh, call you know, you, the way that we refer to uh, disabled people, talk about fat people. You talk about uh, there's a million and one new euphemisms about things that uh, people feel uncomfortable with. And so we, we create new words um, to, to describe it uh, in the area of mental health. There's a whole uh, a whole discussion and ling- lingo around this, and and so and and so this on the one hand, Roldal's kind of very blunt, um, very blunt speech is running up against this thing that well maybe we don't want to teach kids that uh, to call people fat is, is a horrible thing and we shouldn't do it, and and so it's an interesting debate because what's happened is that uh, the the company is starting to rewrite Roldal's books. And so, for example, Augustus Gloob in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, who is described as fat, is now not described as fat anymore. It's just described as enormous. Uh, so that's like one of one of the examples. And there's there's tons of others where they're basically trying to um, uh, rewrite how how he how he comes across. Same with Ian Fleming, uh, who, who sort of uh, with James Bond. There's stuff that came out of that which is definitely considered racist uh, and uh, in some other kinds of books there's people who make references to anti-semitism as well i think agatha christie is one of them and so there's this whole debate going on about about how do we sort of approach this issue because of course the way that people understand these things take james bond for example is often also informed by the way that they've seen film so the James Bond character in, 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 in the books is way less suave and pleasant to be around than in the movies. In, in, you know, Ian Fleming, who wrote the books, was a, an intelligence officer in, in the UK and he was sort of surrounded by tough, hard drinking, uh, slurly Brits, not sort of polished, uh, martini drinkers. And, and so it's, it's kind of an interesting question about how do you, start to to choose the books and i i thought about it myself uh in in some respects because i can remember reading uh as a kid and lo- absolutely loving books by herman charles bosman uh he's famous south african author he wrote a lot about the Groot mariko he was also a convicted murderer he murdered uh, his brother i think or his brother-in-law i can't remember which one and he ended up going to prison i mean that is what the guy did it was, he was sort of not a moral a human being in that way. And he then wrote this book about his time in prison. And the, 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 the prison book is called Stone Cold Jug. And I, mean, I read it as a, as a teenager. And I think I've never laughed so much in my entire life at, at a particular book. And not because it's funny in a humorous way, but he just describes prison life in a very sort of soft way, uh, which is very accessible. But because of the time that he wrote in, he uses the word, the K word all over the place. And at the time, the K word was, was sort of derogatory, but it wasn't derogatory in the way that we understand it today. It was sort of used really as a descriptor, uh, for people that weren't white. Uh, and although it did have a prejudicial overtone, it wasn't in the same category as we understand it today. And I just kind of think to myself, well, 
you know, if I wanted to teach the set work to uh, young children in in schools, uh, in primary school or high school, and they wanted to access really one of the great writers of South Africa, would it justify changing that word, which is so offensive in the South African language, and and maybe making reference to it at the beginning to make it more accessible? Uh, because on the one hand, I don't really think that I like all of these changes that are happening to books. I, I think that, you know, it gives us access to how people thought at the time and gives us access to where where we are as a country and you understand how things developed. And sometimes uh, it it's the, the authors wrote in this way to sort of send up this kind of language. But at the same time, I do think that young people, uh, you know, it, why would you want to turn young people off of, off of writing uh, given that there was something clearly uh, problematic here that you could change in in, in some way uh, and and still make it accessible, I'm not really sure uh, where I stand on the most egregious forms of it, and uh, and 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 what it is that they change also tells us quite a lot about what people are feeling offended by, which is a whole different discussion. So I'd love to hear your views, 34519 or 0618951019 at some time. But for now, it brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Thank you to the whole team who puts everything together. Craig, who pushes the big red buttons. Uh, Senna, who helps to direct everything. Mashadi, who's on the production. Vuzi, who's done the sound. And to you, dear listener, who joins us every single week. And do join us again next week on the New Blue Review.